Welcome to the Women Want Strong Men podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stuttle. I believe it takes a strong man to appreciate a strong woman, and I'm here to bring a unique perspective to empower both sexes. I love talking with health experts, thought leaders, influencers, and people who have insightful information to share with us about our health, our society, and our pursuit for success and prosperity. I'm excited to do today's podcast because I have Nicole Herms, a chemist and technical researcher for SpectraCell Laboratories. SpectraCell Laboratories has a micronutrient test that they developed from 40 years of research on cell metabolism and nutrition. The test looks inside your cells and identifies deficiencies for 35 vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and insulin sensitivity. Micronutrients are the metabolic workhorses in our bodies that drive every chemical reaction in every cell. The micronutrient test reveals exactly what you are deficient in and allows doctors to develop a personalized supplementation regimen versus blindly supplementing someone. So today, Nicole and I are going to deep dive on micronutrients and micronutrient testing. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Of course. Thank you. So what is a SpectraCell micronutrient test and what does it tell you? The SpectraCell test is a, the technical term would be a lymphocyte proliferation assay test that determines cellular nutritional deficiencies. So that's a mouthful. It basically tells you what nutrients your cells are lacking. So most people intuitively understand like a serum test, you go to, you know, and, and right now people are sort of getting more vitamin D, vitamin B12 tests. They like understand that intuitively you go get your blood drawn and it tells you if you're low in vitamin B12, for example. And this test is way beyond that, but it's the same premise. It's looking at the nutrient status of your cells the difference is a serum test is just looking at how much of the nutrient is like floating around in your cells. It's just the volume. It's measured in you know volume per mass. And our test is looking at how your cells are actually using the nutrients that are there and whether or not those cells are deficient. So that's what it does. It tells you the status of 31 different nutrients in your cells. And then there's also four metabolic tests that are included in the SpectraCell test. It's a nutrient deficiency test. And I haven't mentioned this yet, but I absolutely love this test. And I have experience with it. I have a personal experience with it. And I've had several micronutrient tests done on myself. And I'm a big fan, hence why I wanted you to be on the podcast today to explain this. But tell people what a lymphocyte is. Well, first of all, I'm glad you're a fan. I'm a fan too. You know, I've work for SpectraCell for 18 years, and I've had over 20 of these done because I do it on myself um, once, one to two times a year. So I completely believe in this test as well. There's nothing else like it, really. It is a test that is done on lymphocytes, and lymphocytes are a white blood cell. And lymphocytes, it's important that we use lymphocytes because there's a lot of different reasons, but one main reason is that a lymphocyte, which is a white blood cell, the purpose of a lymphocyte is it's part of your, your immune system. And it, the purpose is to protect you from foreign pathogens, you know, bacteria and viruses, but also from like cancer cells. It, it basically protects you. And is if anything in your body is not supposed to be there, the lymphocyte is activated to respond. So its main purpose in life is to clone itself. And basically there's a threat. Lymphocytes 
clone themselves like an army and reproduce. And so as a result, the lymphocyte can be stimulated. And that is what we do. We actually stimulate a person's lymphocytes to grow. And that is the very first step of the test is basically seeing how well their lymphocytes grow. And then we can measure how well they respond to different nutrient environments. But a lymphocyte is a white blood cell that is part of your immune system. And you mentioned that people are more familiar with a serum test, like if they were going to their primary care doctor for their annual checkup, they would have a serum test. And let's dig into that a little more why this is different than that and why you don't see this typically in your primary care doctor setting where they're testing lymphocytes, why it's a serum test. Well, a serum test is easy to do. In other words, you're just taking blood and measuring the level of a nutrient. And so it tells you a little bit of information. But the big problem with that is, number one, it doesn't tell you how that nutrient is being used. Or it also doesn't tell you if you have enough of that nutrient. Okay, so the serum is just measuring the amount floating around in your blood. If you have a nutrient that is, let's say you take a whole bunch of a supplement and you are trying to get your serum levels up, your cells can still be deficient because you have to transport that nutrient. We'll just say like vitamin B12. You have to transport that B12 across the cell membrane to get into the cell. And inside the cell is where all of the metabolic work is done, like for the entire body, whether it's you know, detoxifying something we ingested or building muscle or creating energy or growing, all of the metabolism, physiology happens intracellularly. It does not happen like extracellularly in the blood. It happens within the cells. So if you have a nutrient, but it can't get into the cell, it is not going to be able to do what it is designed to do. And so a serum test is just measuring the amount of nutrient, the mass of that nutrient per unit of blood volume. It's measured in usually like nanograms per milliliter or something like that. Our test is measuring how well your cell can use the nutrient that is available to it. So If you have a nutrient, like if you have B12, you've ingested copious amounts of B12, but you lack a transporter that makes it to where you cannot, that B12 just cannot get into the cell. It doesn't matter how much is floating around in your blood. It needs to get into the cell to do what it needs to do. And so our test, number one, is intracellularly. So it's done intracellularly. So it is a measure of status with inside the cell, which is where everything happens. And then number two, the... Each person is biochemically unique. And so an 80-year-old smoker is going to have a totally different nutrient uh, need than a 20-year-old athlete. Even though both of them can be deficient in something for completely different reasons, it's their needs are very different. We all and there's so many things that affect our nutrient needs. You know, it's not just what you ate. I mean, that is our diet is really a small portion of it. It's our genetics. It's our gender, our age, what medications you take, what even what latitude you live in depends can can determine, you know, your vitamin D levels. It's there's so many things that go into our uh, cells need for nutrients and measuring serum is just you. It's a snapshot. It just tells you what's in the blood at the time. 
outside of the cell. And then it doesn't tell you if your body is using that nutrient or maybe you need more of a nutrient than someone else does. It doesn't tell you that. It's just kind of like a standard test. Whereas our test is looking inside the cell and then we actually measure the cellular function on your own cells. So it's a completely personalized test done intracellularly measuring nutrient function. And I actually had this happen to me where on my serum test, my vitamin D level was fine in range. And then when I did the spectrocell micronutrient test, it showed as deficient. How would you explain that to a patient? So a serum level is just a snapshot. It's like how much is floating around in your blood tells you nothing about what your body needs and how your body's using it. And so for vitamin D, for example, it's a good example because we see that one a lot. And vitamin D is sort of the nutrient that gets all the glory in terms of like, it's very well known and there's a lot, it's so much research on vitamin D because it's got so many different functions in the body. And so a lot of people will take a lot of vitamin D, but, and their serum levels may even get into the quote unquote standard normal range, but their cells are still deficient. And we get, you know, how is that possible? And there is a bit of a theory we call it the vitamin D paradox, but it can happen with other nutrients as well, that if you take something exogenously and ingest it over time, then there are, with certain nutrients, vitamin D is one of them, it has receptors that make vitamin D function. So all different cells, there's there's dozens of types of tissue that have vitamin D receptors. And if you take a lot of vitamin D, it there's a possibility it could downregulate those receptors to where your cells are saying, we don't want this vitamin D to work because we have so much. It basically downregulates the receptors. So the actual function of vitamin D is low. In other words, the lymphocyte is deficient in vitamin D for whatever reason. It could be because the receptors have been downregulated. It's like you think of a hormone. If you take a ton of a hormone, you can take hormones to get back in balance. But if you take a ton of it exogenously, it can downregulate your own receptors to where the balance kind of is skewed a little bit. And we see that with nutrients sometimes. If you take exogenous nutrients and your cells are not deficient, in other words, you have repleted your cells, they're fine. And now you're still taking that nutrient what happens is it can either downregulate the receptor, making the function sort of falter, or it can also induce deficiencies of other nutrients. That's why we always say more isn't better when it comes to nutrients. It's not good to just take nutrients that you think are going to help, especially after a lot of people, they'll read this article and they'll say, oh, this randomized controlled trial showed that this nutrient helped hypertension, for example. So I'm going to start taking this nutrient we SpectraCell's stance on that is that that's not really a good idea. You should always look at targeted repletion and replete what the cell actually needs and get your cells back in balance as opposed to just blindly supplementing. So back to your question. Yeah. And so many people are just blindly supplementing. Yeah, It's tempting. I mean, it's very tempting to do that. I certainly think supplements can be absolutely helpful in rectifying problems and conditions and everything. But, you know, supplements like medications, you don't want to take them forever if you don't need them. You really, the goal is to get your cells back in balance and take what your cells are telling you they need as opposed to just something that you don't know. I think your comment just highlighted the importance of 
really knowing what your body needs, taking specifically what it needs versus just showing up at a local CVS, Walgreens, wherever you're getting your supplements and just purchasing whatever hot thing you heard about or just assuming that you're deficient in something. It's so much more effective to know what your body needs and go from there. And then also another point on that is you've seen these at-home tests picking up popularity where people can go online and they can test their own vitamins and minerals, but that's a serum test as well. I like to use the analogy of uh, like a car and let's say the serum is like gas. You're measuring how much uh, gas is in your car and okay, we're low on gas. So let's put some more gas in. But if your engine is really needs oil, it's like not working and it's puttering along because it needs oil. It doesn't matter how much gas you put in. It doesn't need that. It needs oil. And serum testing is kind of like if you put, let's say it needs gas and you put gas in, but the fuel line from the gas tank to the engine is broken. It's not getting into the engine if the engine's the cell. It's like not getting into the cell. It's not getting there where it needs, but you've got a full gas tank. It doesn't matter. It's like serum testing can tell you, it, 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 serum testing can say you have very high levels of this nutrient, but you don't know if that nutrient is being used correctly or used efficiently in the cell. And that's what the spectra cell test does. It is really way beyond a serum test, you know, and a serum test, they can be sometimes misleading because someone can fall into the normal range for serum, but they still have a functional deficiency. We see that all the time. And not just with the spectra cell test that you commonly see that with like red blood cell magnesium and intracellular other tests that are intracellular, where there's an intracellular deficiency, but the serum levels are normal. And what that means is clinically, if you have an intracellular deficiency, it will clinically present as a symptom, but the serum normal is going to be normal. So what happens is you you get a blood test, your serum says your levels are normal, but you still have clinical symptoms and you don't correct anything. The spectra cell test is a completely different approach where you are looking inside the cell at how well those nutrients function. And that correlates to the clinical reality of symptoms much more than serum does. And just one deficiency can disrupt a body's whole natural cycle. Like your body naturally wants to be healthy, but one deficiency can disrupt that. And if your test does 35 vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, metabolites, and just for people that don't know, let's just name a few of them. Do you want to list some of the vitamins? We do all the B vitamins. So, you know, B1, 2, 3, and B12, B5. And then there's some B vitamins that like choline and inositol, they're not quite as well known, but they still have really important functions in the body. So we do all the B vitamins. And then we do a lot of minerals, zinc, magnesium, selenium, chromium, calcium, uh, copper, So people get, you know, vitamins and minerals. We do some antioxidants. We also measure like CoQ10 and glutathione. Glutathione, a a lot of consumers might not have heard of it, but it's like the most powerful antioxidant in your body. It's in every cell and it's extremely good at repairing oxidative stress. So we do antioxidants and then there's four tests in the spectra cell that are just unique in and of themselves, they're not nutrients, but they're measures of a of metabolic function. Two of them are on carbohydrate metabolism, one's on antioxidant function, and one is on immune function. So those are 
a wealth of information just in those four analytes, but there's 31 additional nutrients that we test for each test. So it's really comprehensive. I mean, if you think, if you go, if you go, I do see that there's a lot of at-home serum tests for nutrients. And I kind of, you know, the good news is at least people are looking at nutrients as something that's important in keeping healthy. You know, I mean, that it seems fundamental, but that's really a new approach, at least from the traditional medical standpoint, which is usually pharmacologically sort of inclined. So I'm, I'm glad that people are focusing on on nu- nutrients, not just nutrition, because nutrition is kind of like more like what you eat and that kind of thing. But nutrients are really like the chemicals in our body that they're like the workhorses that are doing all the chemical work in our bodies. And if our bodies have them available and can use them, then we're healthy, basically. So that's good. But the problem is the tests at home are serum tests, and they're just Usually it's just a couple of analytes, a couple of nutrients, you know, versus like a special test, you've got 31 different nutrients. So it's a huge picture. It's a very comprehensive test. And then the serum testing is, is misleading in that it will not determine how those are really working in the body. And the glutathione, it has like 80,000 research studies on it or something like that. And I'm a big advocate for glutathione. I I love that antioxidant. And I love that your test does the insulin sensitivity. I think that's a big one because we're seeing so many people that are insulin resistant. And I love that you guys test for that. What are some of the most common deficiencies that you see, particularly in men that are middle-aged? Vitamin D is a big one. Maybe close to 20% of the Samples that come in the door are vitamin D deficient. So that's a big one. I'm surprised it's only 20%. Vitamin D is so deficient. It's not necessarily that we're not getting enough vitamin D, which is certainly probably part of the problem. And, um, you know, people are afraid of going out in the sun and that's the best way to get it. But really, it's probably because vitamin D is so ubiquitous in its function in the body. You know, people think of vitamin D the first thing that comes to mind is maybe like bone health. It, it plays a big role in keeping our bones strong. And or at least that's what most of the research, you know, 20 years ago on vitamin D was on vitamin D and bones because a gross deficiency of vitamin D manifests most acutely as rickets, which is like kids in the depression when there was a lot of nutrient deficiency issues in the early 1900s, you get kids that were born with rickets and they're real bow-legged. And it's, a, it's an obvious clinical outcome. Well, no one, the thing about the spec cell test is we're determining a deficiency years before a gross deficiency manifests. And when a gross deficiency manifests, you're very far along the spectrum of a nutritionally deficient situation. So a lot of the research on vitamin D was on bone health and bone strength, but really vitamin D, I don't know how many receptor, what, how many cell receptors, uh, tissues have vitamin D receptors, but it's a few dozen, you know, fat cells have vitamin D receptors and your pancreatic cells have vitamin D receptors, muscle cells, all these different cells have vitamin D receptors and, and vitamin D is, has, is huge in immunity. And so it's and, and vitamin D is a little different because it acts almost like a hormone more than a vitamin. So it's regulating everything in our body, including even how our genes are expressed. So the reason why we might see so many people deficient in vitamin D is just because vitamin D is such a highly 
functioning nutrient in the body in terms of how many different functions it has. It's not just like nutrients have one function, you know, vitamin D helps bone health. That's it. It's, it regulates so many different things. And so another deficiency that we see a lot with men and women, particularly with men are, is zinc. It's a huge one. Zinc and magnesium are often deficient. And I think it's a similar situation Zinc is a cofactor to over a hundred enzymatic reactions in the body. So you're going to use up zinc. It's so commonly used that when your cells are deficient, it'll show up on the spectra cell test. But zinc, magnesium, and vitamin D are probably three of the biggest. And then having poor ability to withstand oxidative stress via our result, which is called the spectrox test, but it's basically how well your cells can sort of respond to an onslaught of stress, that tends to be low also, especially as we get older. And you obviously know that we specialize in hormones. So how do these deficiencies impact a man's hormones? Well, hugely. Testosterone, we have a a big bank of research on the nutrient hormone connection, but particularly a lot of it on progesterone, estrogen, and testosterone. And if you think about hormones, they're job is to regulate things and, you know, regulate things in the body. But hormones need nutrients for not just to nutrients actually are even more fundamental in that nutrients will regulate hormone production, and also hormone function. And testosterone is a perfect example, like zinc is necessary in creating testosterone. The cells, whatever, the Sertoli cells in the testicle will use zinc to create testosterone. And so it's almost like the nutrient hormone connection is extremely intricate and there's a lot of feedback mechanism, but single nutrient deficiency can absolutely compromise hormone synthesis or hormone function, which are two different, you know, two sides of the same coin. Magnesium, another one, Another common mineral is a commonly deficient mineral is a cofactor also for testosterone production. So if you're deficient in zinc, you can perhaps not be manufacturing testosterone as efficiently as you could. But it also, magnesium is important in making testosterone bioavailable. So we know that testosterone floats around in the body, usually hooked up to sex hormone binding binding globulin. And if if testosterone is bound to sex hormone binding globulin, it's not going to work on tissues. It's not going to act as an anabolic, have its anabolic properties, you know, in creating muscle mass or neurotransmitter function or whatever, if it's bound up. And so to make it more by magnesium, actually, magnesium deficiency will reduce the bioavailability of testosterone and thus correcting it can make your testosterone more bioavailable. So there's a lot. Another big nutrient that's big in testosterone is carnitine, which is a test is one of the ones that we test. And carnitine is like amino acid. And I see this a lot with men that work out a lot, athletes especially, but because they men tend to do a little bit more of like the weightlifting and that kind of thing, and they have more muscle mass. And carnitine is 
one of the main functions of carnitine is actually to transport fatty acids into the cell so that they can be used for energy. But it manifests in when you're deficient in carnitine, you don't recover from muscle mass workouts as much. And we've had a lot of people say that when they they see that they're deficient in carnitine, which is not something that usually people are thinking about. It's not a well-known nutrient, I guess. And when they supplement carnitine when they're deficient, they have noticed that it presents clinically as they seem to recover from their workouts much more easily. And so it's probably interacts with testosterone as well, but we see that a lot in men that do lift weights. And I don't mean like bodybuilders. I mean, just like normal men that lift weights, if they're deficient in carnitine and they correct it, it changes their recovery for the better. And how do you feel the best way for somebody to correct their deficiency is? Do you think that they can correct it through diet or do you feel like they ultimately need supplementation? Well, ideally, in a perfect world, it would be good if we could replete through diet. But the truth is, we just don't see that very often, at least not with our test, because our test is so sort of next level in terms of like cell function, we are really uncovering deficiencies that are very unique to the person, you know? And so I have noticed over the years that there's kind of sort of, I would say deficiencies sort of fall into like one of two categories. One is a deficiency that once you correct it, it stays corrected unless something happens. And we don't always know why the person is deficient, but sometimes it's, you know, they're taking a medication that causes a deficiency or they had like an acute illness, you know, I mean, they had a really, you know, bad COVID or whatever, or injury, you know, they were in a car accident and had an injury and there's just something that depleted them. Or sometimes it's just a chronic thing that they've, a deficiency has occurred over time, but once it's corrected, it seems to stay corrected, which is always good. There's other deficiencies that it just seems like they're not as common, but there's certain people that if they stop taking a supplement, they tend to show deficiency. And, and we've seen that only with people who have done the test several times, you know, over the course of years. And it almost indicates that maybe there's some, you know, genetic SNP they have where they need more of a nutrient. So it's like there's deficiencies that once corrected stays corrected. And then there's deficiencies that certain people just always struggle with more chronically, which can be corrected. So I want to touch on that statement that once corrected, they stay corrected. So are you saying that, let's say somebody's deficient in vitamin K, and we supplement it and do a spectra cell test again in six months, they're showing that they're no longer deficient, that they can then come off that supplementation? Yes. If they have corrected their deficiency, then they really don't need to supplement with that because you don't want to continue supplementing and induce another deficiency. So you want to make your cells replete. And I would not supplement if I was not deficient. And that's the way you, you do the spectra cell test. We don't you know say do it every month or whatever. It's done on lymphocytes. And these are lymphocytes that are peripheral lymphocytes. So they live four to six months. So this is a long-term marker. And so that really you would only do this test one to two times a year at most. And it takes a while usually to sort of drive those nutrients into the cell and for the cells to become replete and function properly, you know, function fully 
the good news is, so when you supplement, it takes a while. You can't just take a supplement and a week later, hope that it's going to be better. It, it takes a long time to induce deficiencies and it takes a while to correct them. And when I say a while, several weeks or a few months to correct a deficiency, you know, but of course, once it's corrected, you know, the results can be extremely beneficial, but the good news is a deficiency doesn't come, at least not a deficiency measured by the spectral test. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes a while to become deficient. So once it's corrected, it usually will stay corrected unless something else happens. A lot of medications deplete nutrients. It's very common. I do want to talk about that in a second, but I want to ask about the how you determine if it's a genetic SNP or not. So I guess if they come back in the six months to a year and they took their, they're complying on their vitamins and they get off of it and they're still deficient or they go back to being deficient, I should say, you're going to determine that that's probably a genetic SNP and they're going to have to continue supplementing that versus a deficiency that's been corrected through supplementation and they can get off. Maybe if they were deficient in vitamin B5, for example, and they took vitamin B5 and then six months later were replete, their cells are good. And then they took another test and it became deficient again. Yes. It's a little bit of a, huh, that's interesting. This person just must need some of that. And I say B5 because I've seen this also on my husband. He, it's like vitamin B5, you know, we've been doing the test for over a decade. And so it's like the test doesn't know if he stops taking his supplements. And so you really only see that in people who have really used this test long-term. And it's quite interesting I would say that's less common though. And whether it's a gene or not, there's no way to know. I mean, we just don't know. Usually when they're corrected, they tend to stay corrected. The problem is if you correct one, sometimes something else becomes deficient just because you're sort of like bringing the whole nutrition function up and you have to tweak a little bit to get all of your deficiencies corrected. The good news is- It's like a game of whack-a-mole. Not always, but- the thing is, there's always something going on in our bodies, whether it's, first of all, if you're taking medications, medications can really affect it. And so talk specifically about those statins. Oh, well, yeah, it'd be hard to find a medication that doesn't induce a nutrient deficiency, it seems, but there is a ton of research on it. Statins is a perfect example. Statins are notorious at depleting CoQ10. And CoQ10 is a an antioxidant that is in every cell of our body. It's actually called ubiquinone because it's so ubiquitous in the body. Its function is in energy production. So it's pretty fundamental. But the cells that use a lot of respiration and, and energy, like heart cells and muscle cells, are the ones that have the most CoQ10 in them. And it's interesting because statins interrupt the pathway that your body uses to make CoQ10. That same pathway also interrupts cholesterol production. So it's, they're notorious for, for anybody on a statin is at a very high risk of CoQ10 depletion. And it's actually interesting because the patents on statins in the early 90s, they actually included CoQ10 in the patent, in a lot of these patents. But ultimately, those weren't the ones that were patented because CoQ10 is actually an expensive supplement to, it's an expensive supplement. So the patent on statins, which has now since run out, did not include CoQ10. But my reason for saying that is that it was very well known, even to the manufacturers of, of statins, that this is going to deplete someone of CoQ10. Well, what is one of the big side effects of statin use, long-term statin use is muscle pain. And what is a, one of the biggest clinical manifestations of an acute 
CoQ10 deficiency is muscle pain. So that's one that most doctors know that statins are going to deplete their patients of CoQ10, which is interesting because, of course, CoQ10 is needed for heart function. So if you're taking a statin to you know, help your heart health, you're potentially inducing a CoQ10 deficiency, which is going to compromise your function. So that's a whole nother, you know, podcast, but uh, hypertension medications, a lot of hypertension medications deplete you of minerals of the very minerals that your body needs to have good vascular function. And so medications, you know, birth control pills will deplete you of, can deplete you of magnesium and vitamin B6. And so there's a lot of research on nutrient and drug-induced nutrient depletions, but it's not very well known. It's, there's not a sort of financial incentive to do that kind of research by the people making medications or whatever, but it's very well known. And if you think about fundamentally, a medication is designed to interrupt a metabolic pathway to achieve a result. Whereas nutrient repletion is a completely different paradigm. It's nutrient repletion approach is to give your cells the tools, i.e. micronutrients, to enhance and make the cell function better. You're not interrupting, you're enabling the cell. And so it's, it's a very different paradigm. But you know, pharmacological interventions will often have caused nutrient depletions. So if certain people take medications throughout their life, that can, if they change medications, that can, that can change their potential for different nutrient depletions. And I don't mean just long-term medications, you know, like Tylenol and, and NSAIDs will deplete you of glutathione, like we were talking about. And glutathione- Or Prilosec. Yeah, they'll deplete you of magnesium and B12, which by the way is needed for healthy antacid production. It's kind of like you get this dog chasing its tail effect. But, you know, a lot of people think they only take antacids once in a while. You know, I'm not, it's not a chronic thing. Some people take them chronically, but, but they can absolutely induce nutrient deficiencies. And we have a lot of literature that, that outlines this to arm people with, you know, wow, it's not a net zero effect. So you mentioned COVID a couple minutes ago, and I was just curious what you're seeing there. Have you seen the COVID infection or the COVID vaccine impact the test results? We don't know about the vaccine because we don't know if the results come in. We have no idea if the person, you know, what vaccine they had. We don't really know. I'll, I'll say because when the samples come in, we don't have a clinical history. All we have is the age and gender of the patient, you know, of the blood. We don't, especially because we don't um, submit to insurance anymore, which is nice because that it was a little bit of a hassle. And so for the last couple of years since COVID, we don't, the insurance doesn't pay for our tests anymore, or at least we don't submit to insurance. And so as a result, we don't have to deal with trying to make sure the doctor, you know, put the correct CPT code or whatever. When we get the blood, all we have is just the basic demographic information of the age of the patient and the um, gender. So we don't know if this blood came in on someone who had COVID or not. It's hard for us to tell. Now we do, that said, of course, we have lots of doctors using it in their practice and they can anecdotally tell us, you know, we've seen more of this or whatever, but we don't know when it, I'm sure COVID I mean, that's extremely taxing on the body. So it's going to probably have an effect on nutrient status, but we don't know 
specifically what that effect is. It will affect everybody differently depending on their nutrient reserves and their needs for nutrients or whatever. We do know a lot of the actual functions that the nutrients play in protecting and fighting viral infections. You know, zinc, that's another one, like, you know, zinc is so deficient, so commonly deficient that we see in the samples that come in our lab. Well, zinc plays a huge role in immunity. And so if you have low zinc or you have your cells are deficient in zinc, it definitely predisposes you to infections. Now, of course, people a lot of times will think, okay, well, I'm going to go take zinc. I'm going to go get a bunch of zinc and take it. The problem is zinc works in balance with copper. So if you take a bunch of zinc for a long time, you can absolutely induce a copper deficiency. So you don't want to take it if you're not deficient in it. And the only way to know if you're deficient is to actually test. So how do you feel about people taking multivitamins then? Just a daily multivitamin. I feel... Like, I'll be honest, it's a personal sort of, I feel like taking a multivitamin is potentially lulling you into thinking that your cells are not deficient. It's a false confidence that you're getting what you need. And I hate to sound like a, you know, downer or whatever, but a multivitamin, of course, there's a lot of different multivitamins out there. Some of them are extremely good. Some of them are like not worth anything. You might as well just throw them in the toilet because it's like getting, it's like having expensive pee. You know, it just goes right through. Nothing's absorbed into your cells at all. So it depends on the quality of the multivitamin, but still the whole philosophy is it's spectra cell is to test and don't guess. In other words, supplement, target your cells deficiencies and supplement that and a multivitamin is, you know, kind of flies in the face of that. Now, I don't think a multivitamin is going to hurt you. Personally, a multivitamin is probably not going to do harm, but it's not really targeting your cells deficiencies. And so it's falsely, it's like a false sense of security, if you will. If you're going to use a spectra cell test, you are going to know exactly what your cells need. If there's no question about it. It is as individual of a test as you can possibly get. And so if you fix your deficiencies via the spectra cell test, if I saw a result that had no deficiencies and no borderline, the person really doesn't need a multivitamin. I'll be honest, in my opinion. So I have a question when it comes to food sensitivities and gut health. Our gut health, majority of people's gut health is awful. The standard American diet has us all inflamed. And what are your thoughts on gut health, food sensitivities test in correlation with micronutrient tests? Well, you're absolutely right. Gut health is a problem. And the thing about, you know, gut health is when you have inflammation, of course, you're not going to absorb things as well. And so you might be eating something really healthy. Most people have some sort of inflammation. You know, we, we kind of struggle with chronic inflammation and the gut is the place where we absorb all of these nutrients from everything that we ingest, vitamins and food. Something important about serum testing that a lot of people don't understand, which is when you are in an inflammatory state, whether it's you know, you had a really, really, you know, you went on a bender or you just got over a cold or you just have chronic inflammation or even obesity. When you have an inflammatory state, a lot of times your minerals will go up on your serum levels. In other words, you test someone with serum testing and their mineral levels are actually really high. And that's just because your body is 
getting the minerals out of the cellular reserves and transporting them to the area of your body that needs it. And so the serum levels will appear high when actually that's not a realistic indicator of your actual cell health. And let's talk about people that have taken the SpectraCell test already. And would you recommend them treating the borderline deficiencies and correcting those or just treat the actual deficiencies? I would say definitely treat the borderline deficiencies or at least be very cognizant of them. It it really depends on the test because if they only have one or two deficiencies and then they have four or five borderline, I would definitely look at the borderline because what happens is if you do nothing, we'll see that those borderlines will sometimes move into the deficient range if they're not addressed. And so I absolutely look at the borderline. It depends on what the deficiencies are because a lot of times if you correct one or two deficiencies, like other deficiencies sort of resolve automatically. In other words, there's like a synergistic effect with your cells so that if you, let's say you have six deficiencies, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to take six things. Sometimes you only have to take three or four and it kind of like the whole cell gets better, if you will. And it depends on which ones there are. For example, we have a test that is called the um, glucose insulin test, which is a measure of how well your cells are how well insulin is functioning in your cell. Well, if that is showing up as problematic on your results, a lot of times that person might have a deficient level of chromium, for example, or even borderline chromium. And you correct that chromium and the glucose insulin will automatically resolve in many cases. In other words, having a little bit of background on how the nutrients work together helps because you don't necessarily have to take eight different supplements you might only correct four or five and then everything gets better, especially also with antioxidants. You might be deficient in three different antioxidants, but if you correct even just one of those or two of them, your whole antioxidant function will be better so that you may not be deficient on the next test, if that answers your question. Yes, it does. And for people that don't know, the SpectraCell test breaks it down by a deficiency, a borderline deficiency. And then if you're in normal or optimal range, there's a a, a chart that they have. So that's why I ask about the borderlines. Should a patient stop taking their current supplements prior to testing? No, they don't need to. This is a long-term test. Like I mentioned, it's on lymphocytes that live for about four to six months. So what you take before the test, the week or two before the test is not going to affect it, which is another thing that's different than serum testing. If you take a bunch of something before serum testing, your serum levels will fluctuate wildly. But the SpectraCell test is a long-term test, and it's looking at how the nutrient is absorbed into the cell and how it's functioning in the cell, and that doesn't change overnight, so you don't need to stop taking your supplements. It doesn't affect it unless you stop taking them for months before you got the test. So no, we tell people you don't have to stop your supplements before the test. And in fact, it's not a fasting test either because it's not subject to you know fluctuations in a 24-hour period. It's a long-term marker. And you think people should get tested every six months, take the supplements for six months and then retest? Yes. Six months is ideal. Every six months is ideal. Like I personally get it about once a year, but if there's something that is, they're really aggressively trying to correct, they can test maybe after four months, but really six months is a good indicator of if they get a test, they're deficient and they supplement accordingly 
within six months, they should see a change on their spectra cell test. There should be some changes. They can test a little earlier if they're curious, but I would not test before four months because you really, it takes a while for those lymphocytes to really change their intracellular function. So six months is ideal. Do you have any experience with patients that get IV vitamin therapy versus taking the supplements orally? We do, but it's just kind of like anecdotal. Um, I actually, you know, I personally have taken IV nutrients. Certainly IV nutrients, you're probably more likely to absorb that because you're really, you know, increasing that level in the blood. What happens is that will drive those nutrients into the cell much more than I think orally taken nutrients. So we don't have experience, you know, SpectraCell doesn't sell supplements at all. So we're just the lab that does the blood work. So we, because we don't sell supplements, I mean, we don't know you know, what people are going to do with the results, if they're going to take it, go intracellularly, if they're going to get supplements, where they're going to get their supplements, we can give them guidance on different forms that are better absorbed. But we do have some clients that do IV, you know, nutrient repletion. And certainly, if I had to guess, I would think IV repletion would absolutely replete you faster than oral repletion, for sure. I mean, you're absolutely, you're going to drive those into the cell the gradient difference between extracellular and intracellular is going to be much more conducive to nutrient repletion in an IV situation than oral. And we really encourage our IV patients to do the SpectraCell because if you're going to spend $120, whatever it may be, on getting an IV vitamin supplementation, you should know exactly what to put in the bag. It's so much more effective. I would love to do a study with IV nutrient repletion on the SpectraCell test specifically. I mean, I think that would be so interesting, especially like, for example, I don't know if you put glutathione in IV, but a lot of times it's hard to absorb glutathione um, orally. And so a lot of times, well, if you're deficient in glutathione, then when you're doing oral supplementation, we would suggest that you take about like 600 or even 1200 milligrams of N-acetylcysteine, which I don't even know if you can get N-acetylcysteine because I think after COVID, it was like banned or something like that. But N-acetylcysteine is, which is also measured in this uh, spectral test, is the precursor to glutathione. So if you're doing oral repletion, N-acetylcysteine is the way to increase glutathione because you, it's so hard to find absorbable glutathione, although IV repletion completely would take care of that. So if I, I mean, if you could do IV repletion on glutathione over oral repletion, I would recommend that. I would think that that would work better. So where do you think the future of testing is going? You know, patients are having more access to these tests that they can get online. You're seeing Aura rings, Apple watches, Whoop bands. Do you have any opinion or insight on that? In the lab industry, we definitely see that consumers are wanting to order the tests themselves and not necessarily have to go through their doctors. I like going through a doctor because usually the doctors that are using the SpectraCell are very experienced in nutrient repletion and supplementation, but the trend towards consumers getting their own labs is not going anywhere. That is how things are moving I mean, I think that's good because I think it's always good for people to have access to their own blood work and access to their own labs. You know, the problem is that they have to, then there's a component of self-education and the spectra cell test is a very comprehensive test. And we do need to have the blood 
taken via venipuncture, which presents a little bit of a logistical challenge because there's other tests that are like vitamin tests that you can just get with a finger prick, but those are serum tests. They don't tell you they're not as um, useful clinically. So we do have to, we have to get phlebotomists to draw the blood, which is fine. There's plenty of phlebotomists all over the country. You can go to our website and find a phlebotomist, but consumers are wanting to take control of their healthcare more directly and like I said, that there's a big education component to that when it comes to nutrient repletion. And so that's where we are. I don't think that's going away. And I think that's good if people really do want to take control of their health. This is like next level a way to do it. So I, I definitely don't see that changing. So speaking of next level, for that biohacker out there listening, for, for people always trying to take it to the next level with their testing, other than the SpectraCell test, obviously, is there any other testing that you would recommend, maybe a gut health test that you're like, oh, yeah, that I would definitely recommend doing that? I've done gut health tests on myself. I'm kind of a junkie for labs. So I've done a lot of tests on myself, you know, competitor tests and that kind of thing. I think, have you heard of the omega-3 index test? or the mega, it's a mega three index, but I forgot there's a trade name for it. It's a great test. We used to do it, but we don't do it anymore. Oh, well, maybe, maybe I did it with Cyrex. Does Cyrex do it? It, No, it's not Cyrex. Although Cyrex has some great tests as well. It's just a measure of your omega three fatty acid status in your red blood cells. It's a great test. I think that one's really good. I do think that food sensitivity testing is potentially extremely useful. I've done a lot of that on myself as well. And other labs that are like uh, the food sensitivity allergen tests, you know, not the old school finger prick ones, but the ones that are like measuring your antibody responses to things. There's some great tests on gluten sensitivity and, and spec cells doesn't do anything like that. So a lot of the gut health tests I think are really useful and we don't do anything like that. So I would absolutely recommend them, but there's a lot of different ones out there. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time today, Nicole. And I know that people will have a lot of takeaways from this. Is there a way that people can reach SpectraCell or reach you? Or do you have a social media presence where people could follow you? Well, certainly, you know, SpectraCell.com is the easiest way because you can find out if, the, if you want to go to a doctor, you can find out um, doctor clients on there. Or if you want to order it directly, you can go to directly to the site and order a kit yourself. And then you can find a phlebotomist. And so if you go to specialcell.com, it'll tell you everything you need on how to order. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you. Well, we appreciate everybody listening today. As always, I will attach documentation and studies to support our statements on today's show. And if you have any additional questions, you could email me at podcast at amystuttle.com. And it is greatly appreciated if you follow, like, share the show. And I hope everybody has a great day.